Welcome back to the PCS Podcast, your home for all things competitive Pokemon. Today we're going to be talking about the Latin America International Championship results. We're going to dive into a player profile featuring Tord Reklev. We're going to do a MetaShare study as well, and then we're going to dive into a card spotlight. We're going to talk about the giveaway results that we mentioned last podcast, and then Justin and I are going to give our predictions for the Stuggart and Toronto Regionals. Justin how are you, man? I'm doing great today. Uh, I've had a rough couple past days, but um, you know I'm here. I'm ready to record. I'm in a good mood, and uh, yeah, we're doing good. How are you? How are oh, you? I'm chilling, man. Uh, it's been a pretty good week. It's been a long last week uh, for those in the community. Uh, some things happened, prevented me from playing cards just a little bit, but I definitely got to stay up in the mix of things when it comes to competitive Pokemon. Did you play any this week, man? I did actually. Um, so I ended up going to a case tournament yesterday over in Tampa. Um, it was ended up being a best of one. Um, decided to go with a meta call of Duraludon, VMAX, and RCS V-Star. Um, an old favorite of mine. Uh, didn't practice the deck once um, since I rebuilt it with a couple new techs I put in there. Um, ended up unfortunately bubbling to ninth place. Um, and, you know, it, it happens to the best of us. It's been happening a lot to me, it seems like, lately. I went on a big tear uh, a couple months back where I was, like, top eights, top fours, and then now I'm hitting bubbles left and right. So, uh, you know, it's Jeez, been fun. Seems like you got to evolve with the meta a little bit, buddy. Play something a little bit more aggressive, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got to eventually. Got to pick up some yeah, movies. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, and that's... <laughs> basically the extent of everything that i played i played a little bit online here and there and kind of tested went to uh, a few locals and just kind of played pretty casually with a lot of my friends which was a good time silver tempest is wild man i I really do like this this new format we're in a whole bunch but you know who else like this format everybody at the latin america international championships where there were 976 masters and before we talk about the first place winning player and deck of course i just want to talk about these play mats i don't know if you got a chance to see any of these but they featured the evolutions and the art on the play mats themselves changed if you were staff if you were a participant if you were uh what is it top top 32 and then top eight and finalists like dude yeah these are so sick and like the boxes were super cool the lanyards are super cool uh i know nobody on the podcast can hear but like i'm a big fan of the evolutions and i have like all of them featured on my wall behind me so it's like (laughs) i definitely got to get my hands on something like this and i'm hoping naic has something very similar to it but the first place winning deck was lugia v-star piloted by none other than tord reklev himself what have you got to say about this whole you know this run that this guy has had so, I mean, he had a pretty insane run um, throughout this whole thing. We see we, he only actually lost one time. He had four ties, but he went uh, with a 13-1-4 record, which is um, pretty insane, especially with the meta share that we saw being so heavy, heavily Lugia. Um, and it just seemed like, you know, with so many mirror matches, it could go really in anyone's favor. Um, and just, I mean, Tord is, as we know, is just an incredible player, and he was able to pilot this to... Just an amazing finale um, and an amazing finish and uh, taking first place at LAIC, which was his last IC that he needed to take it, which is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and before we talk too much about this deck, uh, watching the finals, as soon as like he secured the win, got the uh, Radiant Charizard out to knock out that Lugia V that his opponent thought was very cheeky and could survive an attack from Archaeops or uh, Luminion at any capacity, he leapt off the stage and slipped his shoe fell off and he just kind of laid there like i (laughs) as comical as it was i just i I can't imagine the amount of joy that that man was in just kind of like chilling there knowing he had secured that final ic that you know gives him the quadruple crown if you will uh it's, it's such a sick finale but this deck uh obviously we haven't seen a lugia deck played in an event like this quite yet because this is the first event where silver tempest was legal but is this is this the most consistent build does this play the least amount of cheeky stuff 
Um, the first thing I want to identify is the count of two bosses orders and two Serena, giving you a total of four gusting effects. But two of them also comboing as a great consistency engine, allowing you to discard up to three cards from your hand and draw until you have up to five. It's it just seems like this might be like the streamlined way to play Lugia. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on that. I mean, the 2-2 split is pretty good. Most decks, I think, are going to kind of run that 2-2 split from here on out. Some decks might just run pure boss. Um, but, I mean, you can't go wrong with having not only a gusting effect, but like you said, that extra draw effect. I mean, there's been multiple times in everyone's history of playing where it's like, if only this card wasn't a boss and it was a draw supporter. Well, you know, here we go. We have we got that option with Serena, and I think... Um, that just does just make this deck that much more streamlined, as well as allowing you to discard those Archeops, which is very crucial on that initial turn one. Um, and then, like I said, seeing more cards. But I do, I think this is a very streamlined, straightforward list. Um, that's just kind of, you got your four counts of energies, um, pretty streamlined, no, no super techs in here. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think it's a really, I mean, we've said it over and over again, consistency, consistency, is key really um techs are techs are cool but when you we see these people continue to make these amazing runs with consistent lists and you know just proves that point over and over again oh, absolutely and i know a lot of people brought a very similar list to this ic um but one card that i want to mention that was left out of towards list was the amazing rare raiku uh, that does 120 damage if i'm not mistaken to your opponent's active pokemon and 120 damage to your opponent's bench Pokemon. Being able to fulfill that attack cost yep. with the Aurora Energy that's easily accelerated into play with Archeops, it did make or break a lot of players. Obviously, hitting for Lugia Weakness is huge. Being able to attach Choice Belt, hitting 150, being able to take one-hit knockouts, disregarding V-Guard Energy entirely is kind of sick at the end of the day. Like... You would think that if you're running this much Aurora energy, throwing in a Raikou wouldn't be something to take away from your consistency, but what's your take on that? I I like the Raikou normally, but I can see where in this build, especially if the Raikou, you don't have everything prop, like going in the right place, right time. Um, there's no recovery in, recovery in these Lugilis, especially for we don't have any recovery uh, for special energy in this format, really. So uh, if you take a knockout... Um, yeah, you might get a couple of prizes, but you're losing three of those Aurora energies off of one prize, and so that kind of just leaves less Aurora energies for things like your Radiant Charizard that you might need later on, or a big one that we saw actually take lots of knockouts throughout this tournament was uh, Luminion. Um, you need those Aurora energies for things like that to be able to loop the Luminion back in or um, get that amazing uh, amazing rare Evil Tall knockout and things like that, because that takes a lot of those as well, too, to get your Radiant Charizard for Charizard for later on in the game. So I think with committing too many of those Aurora energies to the Raikou, um, I think you just lose too many of them too early on, and by taking that out, as well as having the addition of Dunsparce in there, so you're not worried about getting knocked out by those amazing rare Raikous, I think it's probably a good call um, for this specific tournament. I think we might see some changes later on where maybe it gets included more in more deck lists because Lugia is so prominent, but I do think that um, you do have to be very resourceful on your energies. And by, like I said, putting three of them on there for the Raikou's attack, it's it, it kind of puts you at a disadvantage later on in the oh, game. Oh, I tend to agree. And you, there's realistically no safe special energy to run other than potentially Speed Lightning, uh, which could create a mild amount of consistency because it allows you to draw two cards, but you need to have that card in hand to actually benefit from it, where it doesn't have the same um level of diversity that powerful colorless capture and aurora energy have in a deck like this so was very very cool to see how toward approached this lugia format or you know that this dominant lugia meta that we're in if you will um, another thing to point out is the stoutland v uh for three colorless it does something fangs <laughs> sorry if i'm skipping the name on it right now <laughs> uh, but it does 40 damage and if you bump that damage up with the powerful colorless energy because stoutland v is a colorless pokemon you're able to take multiple prizes with that attack which is actually kind of busted and it definitely pushes the lost box down a lot because it's pretty easy to get up to that 
90 range for the um, Sableyes, the 110 range for the uh, Cramorants, if you will, and it's just really, really obtainable trying to knock out Comfies and being able to take two prizes at a time off of single prizers. We've been in the ADP format before. We understand just how powerful that is. So uh, Stoutland seems pretty OP in, in when paired with Lugia and Powerful Colorless. Yeah, I would definitely say if you haven't picked up your Statlands already, go ahead because, I mean, this weekend at the Case Tournament, uh, there's tons of Lugia running around, and most of them were playing Statland, and I personally was watching a game from the sidelines that the person just ran over his opponent with Statland because two prizes a turn with powerful colorless energy. It just it was so easy for them to just win that game so easily. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a great card. So if you haven't picked them up, I definitely no, I, would. I, I tend to agree that it's a, a very busted combo in the Lugia Archaeops deck. So when we move on to the second place deck, it is definitely more of the same. However, there are a couple of inclusions in this deck that I definitely think are worth mentioning. Uh, first off, running four collapsed stadiums. Obviously, this player did not want to play around path to the peak at any capacity so tell me why someone would want to run for collapse as opposed to a mixture of maybe some other stadiums so yeah so the biggest thing i think would be for the the path because obviously you know lugia v-star relies on that that ability so heavily to get those archaeops out um i don't know why exactly collapse is the best option um if i I mean, if I had to guess, it would be if you have something damaged on the bench, you could throw that out and actually discard it, um, t- saving you from a knockout or something like that. Or maybe it's just for the lack of there being a better stadium um, for this deck out there. But uh, yeah, I think not only Path, but I think the uh, Temple of Sinnoh is also really detrimental detrimental to this deck as well, too. So, um, I mean, this player was definitely wanted to always have make sure they had a stadium around to bump something if they needed to it looks like in my opinion i agree i also noticed uh just kind of when i was going over uh these decks post tournament and so on and so forth this one doesn't play dunsparce so weakness is definitely something you need to take in consideration here and i think one of the better weakness swinging decks in this format is uh regigigas being able to attack with regieleki chip in some snipe damage here and there obviously it plays the mana fee so that's not super prevalent but being able to hit for that 120 150 with choice belt into lugia is bad so being able to play for collapse stadium to just prevent reggies from doing anything they want to do is probably the biggest draw to this deck now in my brain i think oh well if i'm going to tech out one card in the form of dunsparce then i'm going to tech in one card to help me with that matchup where they teched in four realistically <laughs> yeah yeah but actually i didn't even think about the reggie matchup that's a, a very good point because yeah that that deck right now is so well positioned as well too even though we didn't see any really in this tournament um it's in a great position as well too and yeah that could definitely swing things uh in the reggie's favor if they didn't have those stadiums absolutely and then noting back to the differences between lucas's deck and Tord's deck Lucas is playing the V-Guard energy as well to make it just a little bit harder for that uh, that first knockout to come on your uh, active Lugia V-Star. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of V-Guard energy. I think that card is, if you're playing anything that can, you know, take use of a colorless energy, I think you should be running one or two in your deck if you have the space for it. Um, I, I'm a big fan of that card. I just think it's it's so good. Granted, shred attacks go right through it, but yeah, it just makes those Lugias that much harder to knock out, or even even things like Archaeops. If someone's going to go after your Archaeops, um, why not make it that much tougher for them to try to knock out if they're coming in at you oh, with the V? 100%. And there was one play that Lucas had in the finals where he actually put the V-Guard energy on his Eveltal to prevent the counter Luminion attack which was a super big brain play because of its 110 HP plus the V-Guard energy, you realistically need to hit it for 140, and Luminion just can't hit those numbers. And that's just... Uh, it, it just shows you the diversity that this Aurora... Uh, I, I don't know, like ultra-diverse uh, Lugia decks have because there's just so many different lines of play that 
you know, one or two cards may or may not make or break every matchup, but in the Lugia Mirror, that's pretty huge. Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. And the other thing is, too, like, even just for the format, even though there's so much Lugia running around, you can go to a tournament and play all these different variants where it's not going to be the same cookie-cutter deck. You can, you know, there are going to be different um, different attackers. There are going to be different energy counts. So it always makes it kind of like a, a unique play against it, in a sense, um, than just, you know, playing cookie-cutter decks left and right. You know, you're going to have the same core, but there's so many versatile ways you can play these decks. It's pretty cool to Absolutely. see. Absolutely. Um Back on the train of differences between Tord and uh, Lucas's deck, Tord played four Professor's Research, Lucas played two, and that actually showed big time in game one where there were too many um, read-the-win plays where Lucas just wasn't drawing exactly what they needed at, at any capacity. So having to cut out some draw, like draw consistency to tech into things like the Collapse Stadium or maybe just the uh the second luminion which i actually really like in a deck like this i think two luminion is perfect because you want to go hunt out those supporters for sure especially if you're running such a few count like lucas was but at the same time if you're not drawing into the ball search if you're not drawing into the supporters you need having to rely on putting a two prize liability on the bench uh to go get them because there wasn't a consistent line just feels a little bit bad still a super sick deck at the end of the day like this this player absolutely crushed it when it when coming to play uh against you know the multiple times they were on stream so it's uh definitely a very cool deck but both players ran a rangaroo with the primate wisdom ability what do you think that is man um i think that's really just for more or less if you have the energy in hand that you might need to attach to one of your pokemon um you can a rangaroo put it back on the deck and draw into a different card um, we actually did see on I, – I watched a handful of games, um, and we saw a game with um, oh, uh, Sander and uh, the player. It might have even been Lucas, actually. I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, he was worried about the Sydney play, so he kept putting the energy he needed back on top of his deck so he could save that energy card for later turns and stuff like that. And that also – that same game went back to having the double Luminion so they could not deck themselves out. They kept looping it back and back and back, which was amazing to see. But yeah, no, the Oranguru, I think, is mainly there to put those energies back on top of your deck, then go in with the Archeops and pull that energy. Um, because Archeops does say the energies do have to come from your deck to be able to attach to a Pokemon. So if you do something like a Marnie or a Serena or Research and you get a handful of those energies... Well, that, that kind of fixes that issue right there. That or setting yourself up for maybe a following turn if you're worried about your opponent doing something like a Marnie or something like for that. For sure. And we saw something very similar with Lost Box when it was super prevalent in the meta as well. You can't Mirage Gate the energy that's in your hand, so being able to put it back on top of your deck to use Mirage Gate effectively to uh, accelerate energy just a little bit faster is super duper important. So a Rangaroo is just a great consistency card, and it lets you draw one card deeper into your deck so i feel like as a one card inclusion that doesn't get one shot by cramorant it's actually not that bad of a thing yeah and especially being a single prizer too i mean it 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 really does uh it's it's a good option for not a lot of yeah, cost. absolutely and we're gonna go into the notable shout outs here and it looks like we're just kind of reading straight down the list in terms of powerful decks that were played at the latin america international championships uh, we're going to talk about Grant, Grant Manley's uh, Lost, Bo- Lost Zone Toolbox. Lost Zone, <laughs> that's funny. Lost Zone Toolbox with Kyogre. And this is not a stranger to how Lost Box has been played, especially even before Silver Tempest. This seemed like it was something that was in the works, but there are a couple cards in here that we get to talk about that are definitely a reaction to Lugia being as good as it is. Yep, yep. The uh, the biggest one being the Raikou V that we see in there. Um, so obviously, with that being an electric attacker, um, we've seen it's kind of its brother card uh, in play in the past in the form of Suicune V. Um, does the exact same thing with uh, where it, I think it's light, Lightning Rondo is the name of the attack instead of Blizzard Rondo on Suicune. I'm um, gonna just twenty plus twenty more for every Pokemon on your and your opponent's bench. So with them building up their bench a little bit with things like Archeops and um, Luminions and stuff like that, and you having your Comfies and Sableyes, um, now you're just going in for your Lightning Weakness and also just to hit some bigger numbers as well, too, even if they are playing that Dunsparce. 
um, and potentially take some easy knockouts on. No, absolutely. Unfortunately, it does speed up the rate of play at which you need to control the board with uh, the lost zone box, if you will. Raikou sits in a really uncomfortable spot for me because it is a two prize liability with very, very low HP. Doesn't have a tremendous amount of diversity other than hitting for Lugia weakness. And we've come to find out in these Lugia boxes, Lugia is not the biggest threat of attacker in these decks. Uh, it is literally every other card in that deck that can attack and make more critical plays than Lugia itself. However, being able to take an early knockout on things like Lugia, especially if they have to establish a board state very early and get a whole bunch of Pokemon out in the form of Crobat, Orangaroo, just to make sure they're streamlining those Archaeops into the discard pile. Raikou seems pretty powerful, especially as early as you can get it out. Um, yeah, I, I, I do like it, but I agree. The 200 HP, is that just puts it in that, that kind of danger range for me. It's I mean, it does have the ability to fleet-footed so you can draw an extra card, but yeah, the 200 is just a little little weak, but it is what it yeah. is. And then everyone's favorite card, the Celebrations Kyogre, that I know merited its own 20 energy deck once upon a time is actually being used in a little bit more conservative and versatile uh, way, if you will, in these Lost Box decks. Because you're so you're, you're so eager to get to the meaty resources in a deck like this that being able to cycle in up to five energies at the end of the game with a recycler and then all your cards left are energies gives you a huge advantage to be able to hit for 50 times the amount of energies that you discarded off of your deck. But in a deck like this, you're like, okay, cool. So I can Radiant Greninja once if I feel like it. And then if my opponent doesn't put down Manaphy late game, because I've gotten rid of it with Sableye, you could basically clean up the board for much less because V-Star Pokemon have significantly less HP. Less HP. Kyogre can capitalize on a lot of things right now. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things that, like you said, there was a, a meme deck with it in the past, but like, Grant and Azul and their whole testing group, I think Caleb, they they figured it out where it's like, yeah, you, you just wait till there's enough damage, whether it's with the Sableye, with, whether it's Radiant Greninja, chip damage with Cramorant, whatever it might be, and then, yeah, you just go in with Kyogre and clean up the board. I mean, it's it's crazy, and, and realistically, you could do that multiple times if you, kinda, if you need to, um, because we see in this list that they're playing two copies of Ordinary Rod and two copies of Energy Recycler, so you have plenty of recursion in this this list absolutely but you know what we don't have in this list anything resembling bosses orders obviously sableye being able to place damage counters anywhere you want on the field just kind of puts you in a position where manaphy doesn't really play a huge part especially if they get it down early in the game but there's playing four colorus and one clara this seems like you're trimming a lot of the aggressiveness out for consistency which i totally respect but i feel like one boss or maybe even just cross switchers would make a difference in something like this yeah i i noticed that as well i mean we do see the two copies of escape rope but i think i think it, it works in this list because they are playing the two copies of pokestop and this is such a item heavy deck i mean that's less stuff that you're likely to discard that you might need later on off the Pokestop and more cards you can get into hand. But yeah, I really do think it's it's based on the consistency of um, you're relying on Sableye to be able to spread those damage counters and get through things. Um, you know, it, it, it can be can kind of come back to bite you a little bit if you're playing someone that's playing double Parasol because um, they're just going to put up something else with a Parasol and protect the, the board that way. Um, but I mean... Yeah, I, I don't think it necessarily needs it because of the Sableye or the Radiant Greninja. And, um, you know, yeah, I think it's it's pretty pretty cool list. Yeah, honestly. no, I tend to agree. I, I, I think I'd probably try it out. Uh, Lost Box feels just like a little bit of a sketchy terrain right now because of Stoutland. But other than that, I I really do like the way that this uh, this list operates. And watching it on stream, they almost made it into the final if they didn't draw into their rod plus the escape rope in the same uh, flower selecting. So they were so, so close to making it, and it does feel bad that it was a Lugia mirror for the final, but Grant, you played your ass off, and that's super-duper sick. 
uh, the next deck we're going to talk about, and this is the most anticipated one that everybody was raving about this weekend, was the Sander Eveltal Eldegoss Control deck. Yeah, this thing is absolutely wild, and um, leave it to Sander to bring just these these awesome lists that um, are very big brained and very unexpected. Yeah, and like there's there's just no world where we could talk about anything resembling consistency in a list like this because no, it is a no. little all over the place. I will say that the chorus experiment in a control deck. I am on the fence about it. I totally understand being able to want to see five cards deeper in your deck, but when you look at everything in this list, there's no place for you to justify loss zoning even two cards in, in, in the Eveltal matchup. Yeah, looking at this, there's so many one-ofs. I just see that going so completely wrong um, if you get a handful of your one-offs. And yeah, it just... You, I guess you really have to pick and choose what you would need per the matchup. And, I mean, we're expecting – I'm sure Sander went into this expecting mostly Lugias. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you have to get rid of one or two things that are one of that you need. Um, it's just – it's over from there. I think the only thing you could really afford to get rid of off Colrus would be, like, maybe one Evil Tall, maybe one Snorlax, a Quick Ball or Trekking Shoes or something like that. But, I mean – yeah, other than that, everything looks important in certain scenarios, and I would hate to have to make that decision. Right, and then just so everyone's aware, this control list consists of four of the Celebrations Eveltal, which has an attack for two colorless that allows you to discard up to three special energy from your opponent's board. Not their active, but any of their Pokemon, which you can obviously see with... Uh, Lugia Archaeops accelerating only special energy into play this Eveltal is very, very important going forward in this format. Exactly. And then, of course, you got the, the Eldegoss V uh, for the Eldegoss loop, which is just once you get there, it's absolutely insane. And there's really no way to uh, get around that and win right now, honestly. Right. And then with the addition of the Pidgeot V as well, when it's on the bench, it shuffles itself and whatever cards attached to it back into the deck to consistently loop with or without Eldegoss itself. Because in this deck, you're not realistically attacking with anything except for maybe Miltank if you needed to take something off the field that was problematic. But man, this deck is bonkers. Even the Greedent V has an attack for two colorless that allows you to hit for 40 and discard an energy from your opponent's active Pokemon. Like, come on, this thing is so anti-Lugia, it's not even funny. Yeah, the Greedent V is a crazy inclusion to me. I remember when that card came out and people were trying to make it work. And yeah, it's just, I would, in in this list specifically, I would hate to start it. But then again, I mean, I'm sure there's so many ways that Sander could loop it to where it's like, yeah, it's on the bench, but what are you going to do right, about no, it? No, I, I tend to agree. And I think that, that there's just no world where I could realistically pilot this without watching every single one of his streams. And speaking of streams, we did have a discussion in the Discord about why we didn't see Tord versus Sander on stream for the semifinals. Uh, Chip Ritchie made a really cool comment about attracting new players to the game and trying to showcase what is the uh, the more exciting and colorful parts of the Pokemon TCG. And I fully agree with his statement. Showing off a control deck, yes, is very, very cool for those who are experienced with the game and understand what's going on. But it, from an outside perspective, it's not the most attractive way to play a TCG at any capacity. Uh, not taking any prize cards, which obviously is the most prominent win condition with most decks just doesn't play very heavily into what could bring in new players and what can get them excited about the game. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Justin? I uh, I actually completely agree with Chip's statement, honestly, because I, like someone like you and I, we love watching this stuff because we understand what each individual, yeah, each individual card does and the interactions and the things like how he can control the board state, but someone who's new who might have picked up the card game a couple weeks ago, we actually, like you said, in the Discord, we had people asking about how this deck worked and things like that, um, and it just it it kind of shows that someone might understand, like, oh, that Yvetzel doesn't do any damage. Why would they even play that? You know, some to some people get into the game, they wanted to see the thing with the the biggest uh, attack swinging into something else. Um, and something a little more streamlined, straightforward, where this is a lot more 
you might see a cool play, but it might be four turns later and things like that. So I do get where, uh, like Chip said, it's it's an amazing thing for someone like us to watch. But for someone who's new and in, they're trying to get more people into the game, they might look at this, start yawning because they're bored because they don't understand what's going on and change over to something Absolutely. Else. And Sanders realistically playing like a best of one deck. Like you're turning a best of three into a best of one because you're looping, you're milking time, you're forcing your opponent to wonder if they can actually close out a game like this or if they're just perpetually stuck behind Mill Tank or Eveltal or trying to attack into Ice Q and stuff like that. So uh, in a deck like this that plays a, a tremendous amount of one-ofs, whenever Sander's going to top deck something, it's a new card almost every single time. So you're you're not able to make those predictive thoughts and wonder, oh, I saw this card earlier in the game. I wonder if he's going to draw into it and play into it the same way again. And that ends up being problematic for someone who's trying to learn the game from a visual perspective. Now, one thing I could definitely um, insist on Pokemon doing is potentially doing like A and B streams so that if a player at in, uh, of any skill level wanted to go watch either game, especially in a semifinals position, maybe promoting like an A and B table to try to capture all of these things happening and Tablemon, uh, who was casting this event for the first time, Pablo Meza, I believe is his name, did a fantastic job, by the way. I I was skeptical at first when he joined the cast for personal reasons, and he actually gave a lot of good uh, player insight for those who are transitioning from a, I don't want to call it a low end, but from like an entry-level competitive player to, to a competitive asset to the team, if you will. He bridged that gap very well, and I compliment him on his ability to do that, but Back to my original point, he took the time out of his day to live tweet the Sander and the Tord matchup, and that was huge because everyone was wondering what was going yeah, on. Yeah, I saw and that. I'm very, very thankful that he did that. Yeah, that was that was really cool to see because yeah, that was that was the big question on all the competitive players' mind. Like, why isn't this being streamed? Um, and of course, we just talked about it. But yeah, as soon as I saw Pablo Mezzo's tweet, I was following it. I was like, okay, what's going on? How's it going? Um, so it was really cool to see him go out and do that, um, and it just kind of shows. But no, I agree, I agree though. I was something I've always thought about is doing an A and B stream as well too, or having like the the Pokemon's official page do something you know that's more of the beginner friendly and things like that, like a lot of their Pokemon, the the Pokemon pages. But then maybe a play Pokemon stream where it's more of the competitive competitive side, where it's like the more interesting or intricate decks or the top top players going head to head and things like that which they do a good job about picking a lot of the head players and stuff like that but um this matchup or this uh this ic in general we saw i can't tell you how many countless mirrors where um yeah that was great for beginners maybe but i there was multiple games where i've watched and i turned it off because it was like oh this is the fourth lugia mirror oh this is the third mew mirror um so i do i do like that a and b stream so maybe if you're not if you want to see a certain matchup, you have a better chance of Absolutely. seeing it. Absolutely, and definitely it will tax the um, the production of Pokemon a little bit, and the casters will definitely spread a little bit thin. I know that a break is very necessary. Doing a podcast, I get tired of talking too, so I totally understand. But in the future, especially at ICs, like that could definitely be incorporated, and I think you'd have a great response because of it. But uh, GG's to everyone who did cast and play in the latin america championships you guys made it very very exciting and very nerve-wracking for a lot of people who don't currently own a playset of lugia and with that we'll kind of transition into what i am now calling the metashare study uh justin i have some questions for you uh is lugia yeah. undeniably the best deck or did the best players play it why was there so much in top cut and is there nothing we can do to stop this powerhouse? Will Lugia stay undefeated until rotation when it loses half of its deck diversity? Or does it stay very good? Um, so the first one I'll answer with that is come rotation, I think deck the deck becomes like, like not very playable. I'll just put it at that. Once rotation hits, because we lose so many of the energies it needs and support and evolution incense and things like that to get it working so so fast um but i do think right now um and i hate to say this but i do think it's one of the best decks we've seen in a while and we always hear this when a set drops that um that oh uh palky is the best deck in format giratina is the best deck in format things like that 
But I mean, this deck is just absolutely insane. And like we've talked about earlier with so many different techs you can put in, I feel like this is a deck that can adjust with the meta as things get figured out. Granted, going into these next couple uh, regionals that are coming up this weekend, I think there's going to be people that are a lot more teched against the list that we've seen. But I think you're going to see these players also adjust their Lugia list to be ready for that kind of stuff. And I do think um, it is a combination of it being the best deck and the best players are playing it. And that's why we saw, I mean, there was hard. it was hard to find a deck that wasn't Lugia in the Day 2 meta, um, which is just insane to see uh, something like that. And we've had these kind of things in the past, and eventually, yes, it does change. But I think for the foreseeable future until rotation, I think this is going to be one of those decks that is is the powerhouse of the format uh, because it has so many answers. It has so many um, rotating attackers and techs and things like that. No, I, I tend to agree. Archaeops in itself and being able to streamline it on your second turn when you get to evolve is borderline busted being able to skip evolution has always been something that gives you a tremendous advantage in any portion of pokemon like being able to rare candy into voltage beat rillaboom accelerating two energies at a time we've seen this it was very powerful in decks earlier but now we have something that accelerates these this incredible pool of special energy that we currently have now people are going to find ways to counter it obviously being able to shut off the ability early with things like Galarian Weezing, Path to the Peak, so on and so forth, could definitely put a damper on Lugia's day. I'm not saying that like it's time to hard counter it, but I want to fuel uh, some creativity and give some people some insight as to how they want to maneuver this next format, at least until rotation, because I'm still firmly in the camp that the counters to Lugia, Lugia are the most fun decks to play. Uh, but we didn't see any of that Regivolt pop-up that we talked about last pod, and why do you think that is? <laughs> I can tell you why <laughs> that is. Um, I, I put a lot of testing into that deck, actually, um, right after our last pod, and a couple different variants, and it just, it, as in theory and on paper as that deck um, seems like it should be good and, and be the answer to Lugia, it just, it isn't. Um, even with without Dunsparce, without you're you're not really hitting the, the right numbers. You have to find everything in the right order. You're putting way too many liabilities on your bench, um, and it just it, it. I I want the deck to be what to do well. Like I said, I put a lot of time into it. I even picked it on our last pod to to pop into a day two, um, or I think I even said win the regional or sneak in there or something. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's. That is supposed to be the counter, and it doesn't even come close to to being able to keep up with the speed of Lugia, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it, at least not it's right one of those now. things, too, because like Reggie Alecki by itself could be very good. And if you want to play Path to the Peak to heavy counter Lugia, like you're, you're fine for a moment until they attach a couple energies and just take a knockout on Vikavolt, because you realistically want to use that Reggie Alecki VMAX's ability to do more damage to, you know, really control the board state in terms of damage and item lock at the same time but you can't have your cake and eat it too which i think really pushed down that deck so for anybody kind of turning their faith to something along those lines it might not be as easy if you will but i definitely think there are still things in the format to rediscover i think is the correct term to help push lugia down and i think before i dive into much to what the rest of the meta consists of I think I'm going to wrap it up for that MetaShare study so that we can dive into our next brand new topic, which is the player profile. And what player are we talking about this time around? Um, we're talking about none other than our winner, uh, Tord Reckliff from Norway. Mm-hmm. This dude's a stud. If you can't tell by his athletic ability being able to hop up on stage without falling and taking his shoe off, <laughs> this this guy's an absolute monster. Um some things to talk about when we're, you know, looking over towards, you know, baseball card, if you will. He's got 10 first place finishes in large events of the uh, Pokemon and TPCI variety. And these are all just recorded since 2014. Obviously, he's probably had a lot more wins than what's on paper, but these are the most recognizable and the most outstanding ones, if you will. He's won three regionals. He's now won four international championships and he's won three special events including one of the players cups if i'm not mistaken and that's a pretty incredible feature man yeah i mean that's 
for any player like you and I to have one of those accomplishments, we'd be absolutely ecstatic. But for him to have this many accomplishments, like you said, that we know of, uh, I'm sure there's like back when cups and challenges, I'm sure he's won countless amounts of those um, states, uh, nationals, all that stuff. I'm sure he's got so many wins and it's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I think he really is one of the, the greatest players, if not the greatest player of the modern Pokemon era. It's it the the feats he has done is what people dream. Absolutely, to do. and it, and it's not like he's the most cookie cutter player either. Even this year alone, like he's played, he's won with Lost Box. He's now won with Lugia. Before he's won with Urshifu, and he's won with uh, or not uh, not one, but he's come close to winning with uh, Palkia Bieberel, which was a wild meta call uh, for what I'm assuming is Baltimore. I think that's when he played it for sure. Uh, going back to his accolades, he's won almost $100,000 just playing the Pokemon TCG, and these are just recorded winnings from uh, like TPCI events and so on and so forth, which is what everyone really wants to do. But you have to have this many titles to have that kind of income uh, just from playing yeah. Pokemon, which is so, so sick. I remember when I was first getting into the game, I was watching the 2019 World's recaps and stuff like that because, you know, I was building decks, watching YouTube videos. I was submerging myself into the pool of Pokemon. He was playing Weldersard, which was not far off from what I was super interested in when I first got the game. Uh, he took fourth at the World's event, and from then I knew that, like, yeah, he's a really, really good player. And that after being involved in the game for as long as I was, I was like, wow, he's a really, really good player like this. The announcers back then, it's not like they didn't do him justice or anything like that, but they definitely undersold how dominant Tord actually was. Yeah, he, he's been an insane player for quite a while, but I, I do agree that he definitely... I mean, so we got to also look at it this way, too. Um, in older older metas or older formats, um, Jason Glazinski has, was known as the greatest Pokemon player, um, three-time world championship winner, um, just insane when it came to all kinds of uh, events they had back then. I don't even know if they were considered regionals back then. Um, so a lot of these players that have been around for a while kind of saw someone like Jason as still as the best, uh, the best of the best, even though he doesn't really play a crazy amount in modern-day era. Um, but Tord, I think, has surpassed that. Granted, he hasn't won, um, won a Worlds yet, but this is pretty pretty close in accomplishments honestly to the fact that he won all four different ICs um and then you know he just like you said top four at world that the year that you watched and all these things um I think modern era he he's won 100% the best player um and I do think it was undersold for a while but now now he's that household name like you, you mentioned toward any Pokemon player, everyone knows who he is. Even if they're like newer to the game, they're like, oh, I've seen his streams. Oh, I've heard of him. Oh, I've done... I mean, he, he is a household name in Pokemon. No, absolutely. And, and for a little bit of, you know, backlogging, if you will, on this player, 2017, he won NAIC in Indianapolis. Uh, in 2018, he won European International Championship and Oceania International Championships back to back. Like, there was... A couple months in between point A and point B, but it was within the same season that he closed the door on both of those ICs. And as we've seen, ICs are huge. This is a very large event. This is, you know, ten grand on the line per event, which is so so sick. Uh, he played Zoropod at EUIC and then Zoro Gardevoir GX. If anyone's familiar with those previous formats, those are two very very different decks. Uh, sets might have come yeah. out between point a and point b to enforce that line of play but it's like i refer back to before he's not a cookie cutter player who plays the same deck and he's just the best at playing that deck he's well-rounded and it's crazy and then just after he won ocic he won Prague as a special event and then that has to be considered his most dominant season getting three first place wins at any tpci event is outstanding yeah, that's an insane accomplishment in one year. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. If there was a Mount Rushmore for Pokemon, Tord's face has to be considered as one of them, for sure. 
Oh, I couldn't agree yeah. more. And if you would like to see more of Tord's content and his gameplay and so on and so forth, he's on Twitter as Tord Reklev, Twitch at TCG Park. He's on YouTube as TCG Park as well. And he's also on Medify for your coaching needs uh, at Tord TCG. So definitely make sure you check out Tord when you're thinking about competitive Pokemon, man. Yeah, he's he's a wealth of knowledge and super inventive too. All right, and then I know everybody's super excited because I have another new segment that we've introduced to the podcast as well called the Card Spotlight. And the card we're going to be talking about today is the Gallade from Astral Radiance. It has 160 HP. It is a Stage 2 Psychic Pokemon. It has the ability Buddy Catch. Once during your turn, you may search your deck for a supporter card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, and then shuffle your deck. For one Psychic and two Colorless, it does Swirling swirling Slice for 160 damage, and you move an energy from this Pokemon to one of your benched Pokemon. Weak two Dark, resistant to fighting, and a two Retreat cost. (laughs) Perfect partner with the uh, the new Curly. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I don't think this card is like super duper outstanding by any means. However, in a lot of early Urshifu and uh palkia decks and so on and so forth that ran the shady dealings line they were running a split count of different inteleons one being the quick shooting inteleon and the other one being the shady dealings inteleon buddy catch being very similar to shady dealings being able to go into your deck and grab one supporter card it's pretty nice uh unfortunately you do have to get to a stage two to get there we don't have a irida for psychic pokemon quite yet that allows us to kind of expedite this process but I think post-rotation, this Gallade might see just a little bit of play. What are your thoughts? I think you could definitely see some uh, some fringe play, uh, especially with the, the Curlias like we just talked about, with the, the essential, essentially the trade ability that it has going on. I believe it's on. called Refinement. Why not Sorry. play one of the... Or Refinement, yeah. I always consider them to trade trade style abilities after yeah. Zoroark, but... Um, but yeah, no, I, it's it's one of those that why not play it because there could be that moment where you maybe you need that boss or you need something more and you have this in your hand or an evolution incense or I guess we won't have that rotation or an ultra ball in your hand or something like that and you could search for this and then get that supporter that you need. Um, we've seen stuff like this in the past with there's I believe a dragon type Altaria that does something similar um, where you search your deck for a supporter card. And I, don't know if that's put it on top of your deck or put yeah, it in your hand. You, Forget the, the attempting exact... to an Altaria puts it on top of your deck, but this is just a little bit better than that, mm. but a little harder to reach. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of that trade-off for it being a stage two. It goes directly to your hand versus the stage one, put it on top of your deck. So there is a little bit of a trade-off there, but I definitely could see this scene some play, and like you said, especially with a split with the uh, the Gardevoir, um, that deck had seen some fringe play when it first came out as well too, and now we've just gotten some more support for it in the form of the Curlia. Why not throw a Glade in there and, you know, potentially get yourself um, that boss's order or that research or that whatever supporter Serena you might need um, to throw the game in your no, favor. Absolutely. And currently this card's only like 28 cents. So, I mean, I guess it wouldn't hurt to grab a playset of these bad boys just in case you might need it. And hitting 160 damage for a single prizer, is nothing to scoff at. And it moves your energy around too, which I kind of like. Uh, but that does it for the card Spotlight. We do have a listener question this week, and Justin, I'm going to let you take the rein on this one. So I'm going to read exactly what you wrote in our show notes, because <laughs> th- it made me laugh when I read this. It says, Justin has been bubbling a ton recently, in parentheses, sorry bud, what is bubbling, and what can a player do to avoid that? So uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, I've been bubbling top cuts quite a bit lately, and it's, um, it's a bad feeling, but it, it does happen. Um, so bubbling is when you have the same record as someone um, who has made top cut, but your percentages based on the software that uh, the tournament organizer or things use has your win percentages or your opponent's win percentages. Um, you end up being on that lower end. So you end up getting, so say there's like a top eight cut um, and you get the ninth place because your percentage is slightly lower than the person who's in eighth place. Um, and that's just kind of making it more, um, in a sense, fair, even though at the time it doesn't seem fair, because um, if there can only be a top eight, if someone um, had a harder time getting theirs, as in they faced harder opponents who did well, 
um, versus someone who maybe had a couple easier opponents or a couple opponents that dropped because they just weren't doing so well. Um, that will drop their percentage some, so that person who had a little bit tougher of a time getting into that record that they had, um, they get bumped up versus where instead of being something like, um, I mean, I've seen, I've heard of people doing like homemade software where it just alphabetizes the name and that person's the person in Top Cut. And it's like, that's not how you do it because that's, that's not fair, honestly. Cause, um, and, and it, it, it is harsh at the time. It sucks when you have that feeling. I know um, I was very, very upset um, at the time when I found that out because I just I, I went on through a, a grind to get where my record was. And um, but it does happen. Um, the other the other side of that coin is there's also things called bubbling in as well, um, and that's kind of the opposite side of the coin. So instead of you being bubbled out where you had the lower percentage, you have the higher percentage and you bubbled into top cut because you had the same record of someone who got bumped out. So there is two sides of that coin as well. No, for sure. So do you think, and this is just based on the information that you uh, divulged to us in the Discord, you think taking that tie is what put you behind? Would you have not taken that ID if that was something that was going to bubble you in? Yeah, so this is something like on a, on a kind of, I don't want to say higher player level, but once you've been in the game for a while, you kind of, you can look at people's records um, and what's what is on the board and kind of guesstimate what um, what your potential is to um, to take an ID which is an intentional draw or if you need to play it out to stay in um, and I guess when I was looking at the records I missed um, uh, one of the two one one so a player that was two one one currently so um, my my opponent and I took the ID thinking we were both guaranteed in missing this player that was at two one one at the time. Um, and so we ID'd leaving our record at 3-1-1. Well, that player ended up, I won't go too, too much into detail, but he was given a free win from his opponent because they had to leave or something like that. So that player actually got very lucky, and he bubbled up, um, and it pushed me out. So um, in that scenario specifically, um, I definitely think playing it out would have been the better call to guarantee myself in. But there's also that risk, too. Um, I know the matchup that I was playing against was a single-prize loss box, which is not a horrible match for uh, Duraludon, which was what I was playing, but there is that potential that I do have a really bad start or brick hand or I'm missing a couple pieces, and they're just able to pop off and kind of go from there. Because I believe it was the Kyogre version as well, too, which does that high amount of damage, um, and they play nothing but basic energies in their list. Or this this person did anyways. No, for sure. Uh do you think that communicating with not only your tournament organizer but with your players in the field would have helped you uh, gather a better understanding of how safe your ID might have been or maybe your earlier pairings not necessarily could have been adjusted but you would have been able to understand your placement going forward with just a little bit of communication? Yeah, I think um, communication was actually pretty well or was good between the other players and myself, especially the players that were at a better record than, than myself. I, I've, from going to all these bigger, higher-end tournaments in the Tampa and Orlando area, I, I tend to know most of the, the players very well. Um, we all discussed and things like that. And between among, or amongst all of us, it kind of seemed like it was it was a sure call. Um, the, and my only loss of the day was actually someone who was, uh, was also in top cut. So I, I felt like at that position, I had a better... Um, ability to be in there so it was kind of it was just i think on my end a little poor judgment um on what my resistance was going to be by taking that id um but you know it it is one of those things that when you do take some of those you also know the risk you take and that was kind of i took the id and i was like okay cool i'm in but then whenever i found out there's two on one i was like oh crap well you know hopefully i'm not the bubble hopefully it's someone else's the bubble and i was thinking i'm like okay i'm in a good position because a player my only loss was to someone who did really well but um didn't work out in my favor unfortunately and you know here we are you're you're chilling that's definitely nothing to scoff at these you know pokemon events regardless of what the prize pool is they're just it's not easy to win man especially if the field is meta defined or diverse in something that you haven't practiced against so uh there's there's really no predicting how you're gonna finish unless you're toward obviously um but my advice is just be aware of your resistance, be aware of your power, communicate with the people 
who you've beat as well as the people who you've lost to as well because they define where you stand in those standings. So being able to well-round yourself with how you're doing, asking your previous round opponents how they're doing and stuff like that. And then don't be afraid to ask your TOs why you got a pair down and your opponent got a pair up because that could really shift the way that you land later in the rounds and stuff too like understanding the software that you're going through can definitely not necessarily help you strive to win more but it will definitely help you encourage the people that you've beat or lost to to win as well (laughs) and i just it's something you can't necessarily change but you could definitely help yourself understand so you're not like justin and you're sitting there you know twiddling your thumbs until you find out if you're top eight or you know top 16 yeah yeah exactly and that was and that was the biggest thing is you know and i i kind of also take it as two is um because there's been multiple times where i have id'd and bubbled in or um have been guaranteed in top cut and when you're looking in the position that i was in last night sitting at at table three where the table one and two had id'd because they were 100 percent guaranteed in and it was just kind of like oh okay we're pretty much in a great position i even looked at the guy i was like hey you want id and he was even like i don't know i don't know i'm like it's up to you man i'll play it out if you want but uh i think we're safe and he goes yeah i think we're safe too and we we both agreed upon it and stuff so but you know it is something that happens and yeah i definitely think if if you're ever skeptical um played out you know and if you're in a position where uh you you're faced against someone who you know what they're playing and it's like an auto loss and there's a potential bubble in that's where it's also a good scenario to maybe go, well, I can chance bubbling in by taking this ID because I'm almost guaranteed to lose playing this person, um, and then I'm 100% out. So it is, it's a risk factor in certain scenarios, too, in that aspect. For sure. Well, thanks for the question, Jeremy, and sorry, Justin, that you had to answer it with your own personal, um, yeah, <laughs> your own personal stuff. So experience yeah no absolutely we're we're all learning you know and hopefully the people listening are learning from our mistakes Uh, and now i want to update everybody on the giveaway that we talked about last week on the pod uh congratulations sean mcdonald on twitter uh you have won the giveaway so i already hit you up about your shirt size and we'll be getting that into production and we'll send it out shortly we'll definitely be doing giveaways of pcs flavored things as well as maybe some pokemon product here in the future so make sure you're listening to the episodes all of the episodes to try to find out if you're you know able to enter and yeah thanks for participating everybody on twitter yeah thank you guys and now it's time for us to dive into the hardest part of the entire podcast the predictions for the stuttgart germany and toronto canada regionals that happened this weekend I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I'd, Lugia, Lugia or, um, or Mew, that's, that's my two picks, but I'm going to, I'm leaning on the Lugia, um, because man, oh man, it's, it's a powerful deck and just hearing what people, um, are picking up, um, I actually, locally at the case tournament, there was a bunch of people that were going up to Toronto and every single one of them was looking for Lugia yep. stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm just gonna put my, uh, my ticket into the Lugia bin. Yeah, it's definitely hard to pick anything that's not Lugia, but I'm going to make specifics. I think Lugia is going to win Germany and I think Mew is going to win Toronto. Just, just a, a reaction and then another reaction to that reaction. Uh, I like that. And I feel like Mew is a very, um, American heavy deck as well too, or, or North America heavy deck. So I, I like yeah, that. No, I tend to agree. And in the same stroke, I don't know if Sanders going to be at either one of these. So I can't put all my chips in the control basket. Cause I realistically don't think anyone, but Sanders is going to be able to pilot that deck to success. Oh, I, I agree. Right on. And if you have any counter statements or any questions that you want to have featured on the podcast, make sure you hit up our Twitter at PCS underscore podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Make sure you tell us how wrong we are every single time we try to make these predictions. <laughs> um, it's it, it's a really good time. Uh, and with that, we're definitely going to sign off. Justin, do you have any plugs that you want to disclose to our listeners before we head out of here? 
Yeah, if you're picking up any cards, uh, please check out my TCG Player affiliate link. Um, that's going to be located in my link tree, which is on my Twitter, uh, on my Instagram, um, and we're going to actually put the link down in the description of this podcast. Um, anything from there helps support uh, any kind of trips, uh, regional or not? I guess upcoming regionals trips because it's starting 2023 for me. Um, things like that, so I greatly appreciate that. Um, also, check out Swift Lifestyles. Um, they're a great gaming energy. I actually had some right before we started the pod because your boy was really tired from work today. Um, use code PokeBrews for 15% off if you check that out. Um, and then if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at PokeBrewsTCG and Instagram at PokeBrews. Right on. And then if you want to look at any of my stuff, I'm on YouTube, KatanaTCG. I'm also on Twitter, same handle, KatanaTCG. And then for the podcast, if you'd like to join our Patreon to help support us building decks, getting new equipment so that we don't sound like we're talking through tin cans or just want to promote the content that we have going on here make sure you join the patreon at pcs podcast it definitely goes a long way and all of that money made there goes directly back into the content that we provide for you and it also gets you entrance to the monthly giveaway that we're going to have as well as the pcs locals which is an online event that we host in our discord and then make sure you're picking up some pcs merchandise at bonfire.com slash store slash pcs podcast that's going to do it for us tonight deuces We'll be